Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Then. At least one person thought it was funny. I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, that would have been really cool. But I had a really, really cool time because I had a lot of freedom. I could ride my bike for like, you know, 10, 12 miles by myself on the roads. And it was like cool. My, you know, 12 years old, I could do this. And, you know, it was a big deal. But we had some really, really cool toys, too. Uh, He-Man. Does anybody remember He-Man? Masters of the Universe, right? Well, one of my favorite toys and my favorite show was a show or a toy called Transformers. And man, now, yeah, now it's like this big, long, like there's 37 movies, almost as many as Jurassic Park movies, but there's all these movies, but this was the old cartoon that was really, really good. The toys were really amazing. They were made out of metal, and I mean, they were just sturdy. They were tough, and I loved them. I absolutely loved them because, and I think it was just so cool because the idea of the Transformer, in case you don't know, um, the idea of the Transformer was they looked like everyday objects, but they were robots from outer space, basically, who would come and they could transform into an everyday object like a car or airplane, uh, sometimes a, a weapon or something like that, you know, all, all sorts of different things. They looked like a normal everyday thing, but then all of a sudden they transformed into this robot that could fight, and it was, oh man, it was just so cool. So cool. And I love that because they seemed like everyday normal objects, but they could become something really powerful with a simple transformation. And that's why I want us to talk about today. Uh, we, God has always been in the transformation business. You realize that? You realize that? That God has always been in the business of transforming people and transforming things. Um, for example, he called this guy, a guy by the name of Gideon. You might have heard about him in the Old Testament. He called this guy by the name of Gideon. He called him mighty warrior and this guy was literally hiding in a, in a cistern, a, a thing that collected water. He was hiding in this thing, threshing grain, because he was worried about enemies coming and taking his grain or hurting him. And so he was hiding by himself, and God calls, shows up and calls him mighty warrior. I, I can almost imagine the angel delivering this message going... <clears throat> mighty warrior, mighty warrior, you know, because he was not a mighty warrior in, at least in that moment. But that's the beautiful thing is that God over time, if you go through, it's a really cool story and I've taught about it before. We'll probably talk about it again, but go back and read it. Um, it's a really cool story of how God transforms him over time into this mighty leader, mighty warrior. And then there's another story that maybe you've heard about a guy you might recognize, uh, a guy who was a little shepherd boy at one time by the name of David. And God transforms him into first a, a giant slayer and then ultimately transforms him into what? The king. The king, absolutely. And so God has done all these things. Then he takes a fallen prince who used to be like at the pinnacle of the society. Then he became, after 40 years of being by himself with a bunch of sheep, he becomes simply just a stuttering shepherd. And then he transforms him into one of the greatest leaders and prophets of all time. You know that guy? Moses, Moses. And so God has always been about the transformation business. And, but here's the thing that I, I struggle with. And we talk about this quite a bit because I think it's a really common problem. I get frustrated because I look in the mirror, so to speak. I look at the spiritual mirror of God's word and I don't see as much transformation in myself as I like. Can anybody relate to that? 
You know, even if you've grown, I've grown a lot. Like, I am a lot more mature than, you know, Sherry has trained me well. I mean, she... She's done her very best with what she had to work with. But I've grown. I've grown as a Christian. I've grown as a father. I've grown as a husband. Believe it or not, I've grown as a son. I've grown as all these things. But I still look at myself in the spiritual mirror of God's word sometimes. And I'm like, I'm so far from what I should be. And I'm like, why isn't there more transformation in me? What does it really look like to be transformed? I want to look at Romans chapter 8. I really appreciate Stephen last week talking about uh, the fact that we're loved by God, and that's one of our magic words. But today we're going to look at one more magic word from Romans chapter 8, and it's simply that word, transformed. Transformed. Um, So you can turn in your Bibles if you'd like. The Scripture will be on the screen as always. But there are a few things that I think we can learn about, about what being is transformed. And there are a few things in this world that we are used to, and I'll, I'll be honest, it's not something I'm necessarily used to, but there are a few things that portray transformation as much as a potter forming a clay jar or vessel. It, it, it's just the epitome, I think, of transformation. Um, now, I will tell you, I, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I've got a method to my madness, believe it or not. This morning was going to be really, 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 really cool. Uh, Maddie was going to be here as I was preaching from this point forward, literally on a potter's wheel, making a clay jar in front of your eyes. But she got sick this morning. I pray for her, pray for Matt. He's running a fever too. I pray for them. I'm not saying that to shame them. She wanted to be here. They wanted to be here so badly. But that was also the way my morning got started off. The big part of your sermon is not going to be here. <laughs> you know, I was like, yes. You know, I was so excited. And then, oh, you know, I told you, it gets better. I sat there. Remember the mouse disappears? That was in the midst of me trying to download a video of someone making one on YouTube so you guys could see. But guess what? Wouldn't download. There's a point to this, and I'll get to that later. There's a point where I tell you that. I could have just gone on and act like it wasn't going to happen, but I want you to know because we're going to deal with that later. But here's what it says in Isaiah 64. This isn't going to be on the screen. I want you to listen very closely in verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And so I want you to sort of put on your imagination cap a little bit this morning. Um, kids, you can help the older ones, you know, figure out what imagination is if they don't remember what that is anymore. But I want you to put on your imagination cap for just a second. I want you to imagine that, let's say Maddie is still sitting right here. She's got this round spinning wheel that, you know, she controls with a little foot lever that controls the speed of how quick it it spins. And she's got a lump of clay that she first has to beat and knead and just pound and shape. And then she adds some water and starts putting it on this wheel and starts to spin and makes a clay pot. And so I want, we're going to revert back to that and point back to that a few times. But here's the first thing that we want to learn as we think about a potter forming a clay jar or clay vessel. The first thing is this, transforming pressure is what we need if we're going to see a real change, a real transformation. And I want you to take this and I want you to apply it to yourself, not just a simple clay jar, right? I want you to think about why do I not see or what do I need to do to see transformation in me? That first thing is transforming pressure. You know, there is no transformation, especially when we think about pottery, except when it comes with pressure. There is no transformation except with pressure. It's pretty interesting. Um, You know, 
I, I looked at this video that I would love for you guys to be able to see. Um, but, I mean, the, the potters take this lump of clay, and it's all misshapen and formed and actually kind of hard, and they slap it over and over and beat it and push it and try to crush it and press it down. And, I mean, they're just rough with it. I mean, it's, it's sort of violent. They're just boom, boom, work it, depending on how much it needs to be shaped and formed. And so there's nothing without pressure. There's no transformation without pressure. Most of you know where I'm going with this. You're like, I want transformation with lilies and lavender. Anybody else want that? I mean, I'm not a big flower guy. My wife is. But I'm not a big flower person. But I want the simple, I want, I want the gentle massaging transformation. I tell you, I use, I've, I mentioned before I've ran a couple marathons in the past. That was a lifetime ago. I don't think I could run 26.2 feet right now. But the very first reason I ever ran competitively in a race was because they were advertising an 8K. It's basically five miles, 4.9 miles. They said, at the end, we give you a massage. I said, okay, I'll run. <laughs> you know. And if they'd had Krispy Kreme donuts, I would have run a marathon then. But, you know, it, wow. <laughs> at least a snicker. Thank you, thank you. But I did it because I wanted, you know, I wanted a little bit of a massage. I mean, who doesn't like a good shoulder rub or a good foot rub? I don't know what those are like. I've never had one of those. Looking at you, Sherry. But anyway, yeah, she knows what a foot rub's like. Not me. But I want the transformation with the gentle rubbing that's supposed to bring a good feeling, not pain that causes from having yourself slammed on the potter's wheel over and over and over again. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Revealing for the son of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now that's wordy. That, you know, that's classic Paul right there. But what he's saying is, is that, and I'm going to have to inject a little bit here, but I think you guys are following along with me. Because of the sin that entered the world through Adam and Eve, we could not be in the presence of God forever. And if he had not allowed the rest of the world to be punished because sin and death entered in, we would have thought, this is the best it gets, and I'm pretty good with that. But there's got to be pain. There's got to be discomfort. There has to be corruption. There has to be degrading. There has to be rot. There has to be death. There has to be decay. So we would know that this place is not our home. We know that there's something better that we're looking for and longing for. And so he's saying, this is what we're waiting for is to be revealed to us and through us the glory of God. It's happening. But I'm telling you what, it's going to be painful until it completely happens. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I don't think that's new news to most of you, but maybe we need to be reminded of that this morning. It's going to hurt until the glory is revealed. Keep it on in verse 21. 
I'm going to pick back up there again. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You know, creation, you know, I guess maybe sort of has its own memory. And it's like, man, it was so good when the father was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I'm longing for that. If, if we could personify creation, it's saying, oh man, you just don't know what you're missing out on. Hold on, people. Hold on, church. It gets so much better when you get to walk hand in hand and face to face with the Father. I believe that's what creation's groaning about. You see, that, that transforming pressure, as Paul sometimes calls it, suffering. Now, I chose the word pressure because I want us to be clear with this. Um, I can be dramatic a little bit. Shut up. Just shut up. I get no response out of a Krispy Kreme joke, but I say I'm dramatic. Oh, yeah. If you don't know me, I'm completely kidding. I'm completely kidding. I'm a little too sarcastic sometimes. But I can be dramatic just like all of you. And here's the thing. Sometimes the pressure that comes into my life, I will say, is suffering. And I only want to point this out because I don't want us to get so victim-minded that we think that every bit of pressure is actually suffering. The Apostle Paul could write suffering because guess what he had done? He suffered. There are many other believers all throughout the world who could say, yes, suffering. And you may be one of those. I'm not degrading or, or denigrating what you've been through. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying, let's be honest and say that sometimes the pressure, although not, doesn't feel good, is not always suffering. But Paul called particularly, as he was referring to, he said, suffering. He says that the suffering, the kneading of the clay can be painful. You know, if, if the clay had feelings, it would not, it would protest, right? Because it's getting slammed over and over again. Can you relate to the clay getting slammed? Maybe some of you are right in that kneading process right now. And you're like, come on, Lord, why? Why? But there's a reward in store. You know, you think about the spinning wheel of the pottery wheel. Um, I, I love roller coasters, but I know a lot of people don't. But after a while, if you're just continually spinning in a circle, I don't care how much you like it, it's going to get you disoriented, right? If you spin long enough, and that's the way life can feel sometimes, isn't it? Um, back Also, when, like I said, when I was a kid, it was a great time to grow up. We had toys on the playground that could actually kill you. And that, I mean, that was like, we had hot metal slides that were about 175 degrees in summer. And the teacher would say, here, wear your little 1985 shorts out on the playground and slide down that and cook your little bacon legs on the back of that slide. And then we had little uh, merry-go-rounds. I got a word I could call that, but we got children in here. It, it wouldn't marry all the time because, I mean, it was fun. You get it spinning, and you, like, three or four people would be on it, and your friends would be on the outside edge spinning it, and all of a sudden you wake up in 1955, and Doc is there looking at you because you're doing 185 miles an hour in a circle. And you get off, and you're like, boom, hitting the metal poles. We didn't have any kind of little protective curbing in our playgrounds. My point is this. The spinning will disorient you. It will get you confused. And we're like, I don't know if I like this. I want to get off. And that's the way the pressure may come sometimes. The molding, the, the kneading, the, the slamming on the wheel, it, it seems intrusive, right? 
If you're in the midst of God's needing in your life, it seems really intrusive. Come on, God, give me a break. I know I'm really harping on this, but I want you to have your mind ready to hear what we got to say. Because without the kneading, without the spinning, the clay is just dirt. Without you and me being slammed and kneaded and forced and bent and spun and spun around, we're just dirt. We've got to be needed. We've got to have the pressure. You know, a lot of our soil here in the Raleigh, the Triangle area, is clay. And one of the things, we're not great gardeners really, but we've gotten a little bit better over time. But one of the things we learned is that clay is not all that great for growing a lot of stuff, is it? You know, I mean, try digging a hole. I mean, it's like, whew, it is not much fun. But not to mix our metaphors this morning too much, but the website called Masterclass says that clay particles bind well with nutrients. So in theory, they're good for growth. They bind well with nutrients. But clay particles are also so thick that they make it hard for plants to extend their roots through them. So they can't get a lot of root. And so, like I said, not to mix metaphors too much from pottery to gardening, but I want you to get this point. If we just stay regular old clay, regular old dirt, it's hard for us to get roots down deep so that we can stand up against all the things this world's going to throw against us. And so we've got to be needed. And, but the beautiful thing is this. When clay is purified, it makes much better vessels than sand. You know, not many people are going to try to make a vessel, a clay vessel, or excuse me, not a clay, a pottery vessel with sand. It just won't hold together, will it? Now, you might mix in a little bit to make something better, but it will not make anything by itself. And so not many of us use or make pottery that's made out of sand. Nothing is produced without pressure, pain, and effort. Everybody got that? Nothing is produced without that. Well, there's another thing that we can learn from this whole process and what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. It's transforming presence. We had transforming pressure first. Now we've got transforming presence. Paul shares another level of transformation that's necessary if we're going to see any real change in our life. And so if you're struggling, listen closely. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." Now, I don't want you to get lost. I, I think most of us follow along with that pretty well. But Paul is trying to pound this point home. No pun in, well, pun intended. He's trying to pound it into us. He said the creation is groaning, waiting for the revealing. And guess what? We are. We're groaning whether we realize it or not. There are people that are out there in this world, and maybe you and I, we were all one of those people at one time who were out there, they're groaning with smiles on their faces. But then when they turn their back, there's tears in their eyes. They're groaning, longing for something more, and they're trying to fill that void, that longing with something that's never going to fill it. 
They're, they're using all sorts of things. They're using sex, drugs, rock and roll, all those sort of things to fill those voids. They're using relationships with people. They're using this. They're using that. They're using money. They're using fame. They're using notoriety. They're using all these things because they're groaning and they don't even realize it. But we, the church, especially because we've got a little bit of taste. Did you notice what he said there? He said, they're waiting. The church is waiting for its adoption as sons. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about that word adoption, and it's interesting because he spoke about it as in that's what happens when you come into Christ, is that you're adopted. But that's the duality of this whole thing. When we're baptized into Christ, we've talked about this a lot, right? When we're baptized into Christ, spiritually, we die to our old selves, and we're raised to a new life. So spiritually, we're resurrected at that very moment. But what are we waiting for? We're waiting for this outside, this outside body to change, to be transformed, to be fully adopted. So we've been adopted, but we're waiting for the full adoption when Jesus comes back. And he's saying that, therefore, that's a tension, that's a, a pulling, and that causes a groaning. It's like, oh God, I want to go to heaven. And then sometimes we're like, I don't want to go to heaven yet. I mean, just being honest. But there's this groaning and there's this tension and there's this pulling that takes place. And this, the beauty of it is this. The spirit that dwells in us at baptism is a seal. It's a promise. It's a deposit. It talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And, but it's why we have hope. Remember he said that hope that we have is because something we cannot yet see it's why we have hope. But here's the thing. The spirit that we have that is a deposit, that is a placeholder, is so much more than just a placeholder. It's not, that's not all the Holy Spirit is in our lives. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's a beautiful passage of Scripture. And it says the, the idea of this, that the Spirit goes between us and the Father. It's interceding on our behalf. Because I cannot tell you how many times I've been sitting there frustrated with my life, frustrated and scared and unsure about this needing and this pounding that's going on. And this spinning that's going on. And I'm like, God, I don't even know where to begin. Have you been there? I've got news for you, good news. When you don't have the words, or you feel like you've got all the wrong words, if you have the Spirit inside you, that Spirit is not just a placeholder. The Spirit is interceding, going between you and the Father. And He gets it right every time. And so sometimes you just need to sit there and just trust that He knows more than you do, than I do. And man, that's hard to do, right? Because we're all about doing. We're not all about being. You know, it would be more proper to call us human doings, right? because we're always trying to do something. But sometimes we need to trust that God is able, and man, I, I, 
this passage of scripture is it's so powerful and I, I hate to say it but there's so many people that miss the value and the depth of this sermon uh, of this passage because a lot of times they take it and they want to simply focus on a little bit they want to focus on things like the big showy things of like speaking in tongues and all that sort of stuff and, and I'm not saying that can't be a part of it I'm not saying that at all truly but what I'm saying is is that I don't think that's what that's talking about you know, the word tongues is, is glossa, languages. And here this word, uh, I, I had to make sure that, because I, I knew I'd get up here and forget it. Um, the Greek word that is groaning is uh, stenagmos, stenagmos. And it literally has the idea of sighing. You know, it's just like, ah, huh. just this deep inside you uh, that we don't have the words and the spirit intercedes. Now, the reason that I bring this out, the reason that I bring this out is because what we need to understand is the spirit inside us, this all-surpassing power, is what treasure there is. It's far more beautiful than the container. You know, sometimes there are some people who will make a really fancy piece of pottery, but oftentimes, especially in the times of the Bible, they were just simple rudimentary vessels that they could use, right? They were useful. And so it wouldn't necessarily be beautiful, but what we need to understand is that the treasure inside is more valuable than the vessel itself. And that's the same with us. When we have the Holy Spirit, the treasure inside is even more valuable than us. It doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter if we have imperfections. It doesn't matter that we might have a few cracks. It matters that we have the Spirit inside us. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, read along here with me. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies." This, I believe, is the depth of what we need to understand from this passage is that God, by the Holy Spirit that dwells in believers, is taking our brokenness, our response to the needing, the suffering, to show the power of Jesus' resurrection. So when you feel like you're being beaten beyond able to stand and move on anymore, when you feel like you're spinning out of control, just trust and know that God is shaping something in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that, that treasure that's in your vessel that is so much more valuable than you, he's taking it to use it to show the power of his resurrection. You know, I've heard it said many times that our story, our mess, our testimony, our message, our bruises, our beatings, our whatever we're going through, that they're a billboard, a billboard for the resurrection of Jesus. But I don't know if that's the greatest, greatest uh, illustration anymore, because we don't really necessarily pay attention to billboards that much anymore, do we? You know, now, you know, if you're a kid, you got an iPad, you know, you're looking at stuff, you know, kids never see a billboard, you know? But I think a better way to understand it is it's like a pop-up ad on the internet. You know, your struggle, your testimony is like a pop-up ad. No matter what, it's going to keep popping up in people's faces. 
And I want you to realize that, is that it's not all for nothing. Your suffering is not all for nothing, that it's a pop-up ad for the resurrection of Jesus. How you heal from it and how you respond to it and how you grow from it is, is, a, is something that people see. It's like Jesus is alive. Jesus is good. Jesus brings a resurrection. Jesus brings healing. And that's what he's doing. He's making it into this message for him. But how do they do it? You know, people will look at your life and they'll think, how do, you, how do they do it? How do they keep on going with all they have ha- had happened to them? You know, the answer is simple. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Look a few verses later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We shared this passage just a couple weeks ago. For this light momentary affliction... Remember, we talked about Paul was suffering. It wasn't light and momentary. It was painful. It was hurtful. But he calls it light and momentary. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He's saying the sufferings that we go through, the kneading, the spinning, it's temporary, but what it is going to afford is so much greater. It lasts forever. So rest assured, the struggles, the trials, the pressure is not wasted. It's not wasted. The suffering's temporary. It's not the vessel but the contents that matter most. So don't worry about the way you look. Don't worry about your imperfections and your flaws and the ways that you've stumbled in the past. Just trust and know that the spirit inside you is more valuable and that it is recreating you anew from the inside out. And it's shouting from the rooftops that Jesus is Lord. And as I alluded to earlier, People will try to use this part of Romans that we're reading where we based off of 2 Corinthians here. They'll try to use this and they'll try to focus more on the, the showy things. And there's a lot of, in our modern day churches, there's a lot of focusing on the showy things, the, the big things that people can see. And people say, that, that's the spirit, that's the spirit. And it may or it may not be. I'm not here to argue that. But here's what I think we see from scripture is that it's not so much about the showy things but the, with the spirit, but it's more about the transforming power of the spirit to godly living. But I hate to say it, but that's just not sexy, is it? It's not, you know, it's, it's not enticing. We'd rather focus on the big showy spiritual or so-called spiritual things than the things that are happening on the inside. But I would challenge you when you look at scripture that it's far more important what the spirit's doing on the inside of you than what it may or may not be doing on the outside of you. Does that make sense? And we as a church need to get back to focusing on letting the Spirit do what it's supposed to do first on the inside, and then it can come out in ways on the outside more effectively. And so we've got to focus our heart and our mind on that truth. You know, more is mentioned in Scripture in regards to the Spirit about holiness than it ever says about showiness. You know, if you look at 1 Corinthians 13 and the surrounding book, that's sort of the base text for what a lot of people think of as the big showy things of the Spirit. But context is important, isn't it? That entire letter is written to a church that was in what? Shambles. They were the ones who were focusing on the big showy outward things, the people who were completely off their rocker when it came to their faith. 
And so I'm not saying that it's their thing, but he's addressing people who are misusing the gifts of the Spirit and not doing it for what matters on the inside. They're only doing it for what matters for show. And so my challenge to me and my challenge to you is not to worry about what the Spirit's doing right now on the outside, but focus on what the Spirit wants to do on the inside of you because that will change lives, not just your own, but people around you as you are transformed and molded and shaped into the image of God. And here's why. Here's why it's important. The Spirit has transformed our spirit, but we're waiting on those transformed bodies, right? We just talked about that. And that's why the Spirit as a deposit is important. Are y'all with me? Y'all sticking with me? Here, it's hot in here. When life gets you down, it's easy to wonder if Jesus is really coming back. I'm just being honest. But the changes that the Spirit makes in your spirit serve as a reminder that God can change your inside. He's going to change your outside too. Because if you are allowing the Spirit to work on you on the inside, He's changing you. And you can say, yeah, I've grown. I've changed. It may not be as much as I want or as fast as I want, but I've changed. And if He did that, if He can make me from a person who used to be full of lies and full of sin and full of hate into somebody who's learning to love other people even when they're not like me, even to you know, tell the truth even when it's difficult, then yes, I believe He's coming back and He's going to change it all. That deposit is going to hold true. And there's one last thing, transforming power. I'm going to try to get through this quick. Last but not least, with this kneading and shaping that goes on place on the wheel, its purpose is to leave us with transforming power. Transforming power. Look at verse 28. And we know for those, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those that are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This passage of scripture is, is yet again another passage that's sort of taken out of context a lot and people don't understand the depth of it. And so I want us to take a second and look at that. A lot of times people just simply quote part of the passage. They say, God works all things for good. And I'm not saying that's not true. But there's some really important factors that go into that that we need to understand. There are two big qualifiers. We talked about that a little bit over these past few weeks about the qualifying things of Scripture. Those who love God is how God works those things out for his good. When you're loving God. Now, I want to draw back to what Jesus said. Jesus said that if you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. And so we need to understand that part of loving God is obeying him. And so as we love God, that means we're going to obey him. It's not just an emotion, a feeling. It's like, oh, I love God. That's not all it is. That's part of it. I hope you have emotions about God. If not, we need to work with you. But it's not simply all it is. If you're not obeying God, you don't love God, Jesus said. And so as we obey God, that's how God works out all things for those who love him. And the second qualifier is this, those who were called according to his purpose. Now, I think the big key factor here is understanding that if you're called, you need to follow. And so are you following according to God's purpose that he's called you to? And are you loving him? Are you obeying him? Then truly God will work all things for the good. It might be horrible. It might be terrible. It might be pounding on the wheel. It might be spinning out of control, but he will bring about good. Even the things that the enemy does, he can take it and he can turn it for good. What the enemy meant for evil turned out for his good, our good. That's what we're, we're promised. 
That's what we understand. So here's the question. Who can take a lump of clay and turn it into a useful vessel? A master artist. <laughs> a master artist is the one who can do it. That's what God is trying to do to you and I. He wants to take us from something that doesn't have a lot of value to something that has the utmost value because of the treasure inside us, something that's useful for the master. And the beauty is this. Even if you get broken, even if you get misshapen, the perfections in you and me allow the contents inside us to shine through all the more. Even if you're broken. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm almost done. Paul writes, I said, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so he sort of wraps up this, the latter part of this letter to the Romans and he says, look, be transformed as a living sacrifice by the renewing of your mind. You see, real transformation comes when we allow the renewal of our mind by the Holy Spirit as we present our bodies over and over and over again as living sacrifices to God. That's how real transformation comes. We've got to keep climbing back on that altar of sacrifice. Think about, even if you don't know a lot about the Old Testament, you'll understand the principle. But the Old Testament principle of the sacrifice, you know, any lamb that they chose, the, you know, the lamb that was without blemish, was spotless, they came and they offered it. The lamb, you know, once they put it on the altar, it didn't go like, meh, this is hot, I'm getting off. Did they? Because what happened? Once they were about to be placed on the altar, they were killed. They were put on the altar, they were dead already. And you and I need to understand that. Even though Paul says that we are living sacrifices, that doesn't mean we just get off the altar whenever we want. That means we live on the altar as a living sacrifice. That everywhere we go, everything we do, every relationship we have, every conversation we have should be as a living sacrifice for God. And that therefore that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we're living. So the way you respond at work, the way you respond at home can change over time if you're allowing the spirit to transform you from the inside out. But it won't happen unless you're on the altar. But most of us, since we're living sacrifices, we're like, this altar is really uncomfortable. I don't like the looks of that knife. You know, that heat is getting to me. And so we're like, I'm just going to get off the altar for a little bit. I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to go frolic like a little lamb. And then when I think the time is right, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get on the altar. But that's not what we're called to do, is it? We're called to be committed to being a sacrifice all the time, a living sacrifice. Are you allowing the Spirit to transform you? You know, there's a couple of things that Maddie taught me about shaping clay that I thought were interesting. She said, you have to make sure the clay is centered on the wheel or the piece that you're making will come off or even fly off or get misshapen. And I thought that's such a good reminder for us, right? This altar or this wheel that we're on, it may seem out of control, but when we're in the center of it, that's when we really become who we're supposed to become, right? 
If you start to get off the center of Jesus Christ, you're going to go flying into space or you're going to be misshapen and unusable and not be of use for service for the glory of God. And then we understand this, that if you're not grounded and centered, you're going to be unable to be used. And here's another thing she shared. Well-calculated hand movements and perfect timing go into making a successful piece. And this is sort of how I want to wrap things up, okay? And all God's people said amen, right? If you don't hear anything else, maybe this is what you need to hear today. You have to trust the potter. You have to trust the potter because the potter's well-timed adjustments and pressure and touching and speed is what really makes the difference in you and I. And so many of us try to get off of that wheel or get off of that altar because we want to do things ourselves. Remember what we talked about? But we need to trust the potter and trust the process, trust the timing of God. And that only happens when you're on the wheel. He can only make the changes when you are laid out on the altar before him. He can only make the changes and shape you the way he needs to shape you. I don't know how many people's lives, not just that we knew at our church body, but all around the country from friends. I don't know how many people whose lives were totally changed by the pandemic. And what I mean is this. There were people who were really engaged in our church and other churches. And once the pandemic came, we still hadn't seen them back. And the sad fact is a lot of them aren't even going anywhere. Some, a lot of them aren't watching online. They're not going in person to another church. They're, you know, they just allowed this world to just pound them and get them off the wheel. And I say that because we have to be in contact with God through his people, but also with his, uh, through his spirit, through, with his people, if we're going to allow him to work and shape us. We need the hands and feet of the church to help be the hands and feet of God, to help shape us and form us and allow us to change and grow. You got to be connected. And there's one more thing she shared with me, is that the clay gets stronger when it goes through the fire. But the fire is not fun. But sometimes you're going to have to go through fire if you're going to become tough enough to survive and make it through and be useful. When the heat rises, all the work and the pressure that was put in comes into fruition, and the heat might be uncomfortable, but it makes you stronger. And so I ask you this question as we sort of wrap things up. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you to be useful for the master, for the potter, for his purpose. What is God looking to transform in you? What is he looking to shape and form you into being for you specifically? Who is God looking to transform you for? Are you allowing the pressure and the presence and the power of God to transform you? This morning, if you don't have your communion elements, you can go get those right at the back of the center section. But I want you to take a moment, and I want you to ask yourself and answer these questions through the Holy Spirit. God, what are you trying to do in me? What are you trying to transform? What habit are you trying to get out of my life? Or what habit are you trying to bring into my life? 
What focus and heart for people are you calling me to? What ministry are you calling me to? What next step or next move of my faith are you calling me to, to transform me and to shape me? And it might feel like pounding, it might feel like spinning out of control, but God, what are you trying to do in my life? And the reason that I want to draw your attention to communion for this is very important. Everybody focus in for a second. Sometimes, as I said, we can get sort of dramatic. And we can feel like we're the only ones that have been pounded and needed and spun out of control. And we may be thinking, why, God, why do you allow all these things to happen to me? But you peel back that top layer. And you're reminded that he is doing very little compared to what he did to his one and only son for you. His body was beaten. His body was torn. His body was nailed to a cross so you and I could be transformed. And that's why we can continue to allow him to shape us and form us and mold us because his body was broken first. Let's take that. And then you look under that next layer and you see the juice. You see the juice that reminds you of the blood of Jesus that was poured out. And I hope and pray. I, I'm telling you, I remember some of the first times that I saw the blood of my children. And I'm telling you, it, it, even though it was a tiny amount, it was heartbreaking. I can't imagine seeing the very life of your son taken for people that don't deserve it. But that's what he allowed for you and me. So when you're wondering, when you're wondering why or when will it cease, just know that Jesus went through it all for you so that you and I could be transformed by the power and the blood of Jesus through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And say thank you. Take a few moments. Let's take this together and ask God, how are you trying to transform me? Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.